morning, church. It's good to gather, amen? Right. Um, uh, grace and peace be with each one of you uh, this morning. And uh, God has brought uh, to us a tool. <laughs> David Miller. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, it was right there. I had to. It's just, it's good. No. <laughs> David's presence with us this past, this weekend, uh, yesterday with, uh, out at Ron and Sue Bachman's ranch, um, it was just a, a gift to be able to sit, to, to learn, to listen together, so on and so forth. And uh, we are in a series for this uh, fall called Church Forward. And uh, this is our third week of that series. Uh, the first week, we, we, why church? Why is it that we gather? And uh, last week, we looked, gathered in song. And so we looked at specifically the elements of our, our time together, and we looked at music. Well, today, uh, gathered in health, okay? So um, uh, this, this original retreat was scheduled, I think, the March before the pandemic hit, or maybe it was April, and we, we postponed it. And, and the content that David has brought uh, to our leadership team, elders, so on and so forth, uh, would, would have been great you know, to prepare us for such a time as this, right? Uh, because it's uh, uh, operating, in, in, uh, operating with church in a polarized world, right? However, God's timing is, is good, Holy Spirit. And so now it's just a, a great healthy reminder of, of that which he has brought as we do find our, you know, we didn't know what we were in for back then. Now that we're in the middle of it, it has been such a gift uh, to, to, to um, uh, to have the, the you know, what, what, what you've brought so far. And so just invite you to come forward and, and uh, we'll uh, uh, do this. Uh, I, I was going to pray for you. And uh, so we can welcome David Miller together. So let's pray. So Father, we, again, just uh, thank you for uh, opportunity to gather in this space. And Father, we uh, um, just thank you for uh, the ability to worship here freely. Father, as we uh, now uh, listen uh, from uh, David this morning, I pray that you would just bless him as he shares. Uh, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, the, the, the many gifts of the body and, and how we can work in unison. I pray that you'd use, that you'd use David uh, to bring such a word and to, for encouragement and to spur us on this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Eric, thank you. I want to take a little poll. Anyone tired of these yet? <laughs> As much as I'm convinced we should wear them, I am tired of them. And may there come a day that we don't, that they are not needed for us. But one of the challenges we face in this time of pandemic is, has been precisely how do, we, how do we adjust to that which is not just good for me, good for our communities of which we are part, that strengthens and helps to protect and preserve health. I know in the early parts, in the early stages of the pandemic, one of the real challenges that, that was faced was saying, wait a minute, when, when people went through crises before, we knew what to do. You went, you baked something, and you came by. You, you, you showed up and you've met face to face with someone to extend love and support. And the pandemic faces us with a, presents us with a challenge that maybe that showing up in person isn't 
what is needed. So how then, what form does our love take? How do we stay connected? How do we stay actively engaged with one another? So we have learned, been learning, trying to learn new practices, those things that both help protect health and diminish the spread of this pandemic, but also those things that express in new ways, those deepest values that have been formed in us by the Spirit of God. It has been my delight to be together this, this weekend with the leadership team yesterday. I've had opportunities to, to meet with Eric over these last two years that I've served as the acting conference minister for Illinois Conference. With John, even prior to that, he was a student at AMBS and we got to know each other. And it is a joy to be with you this morning and share in this time together I bring you greetings also from your sisters and brothers across the Illinois Mennonite Conference. Uh, and in the first Sunday of August, I was with the Living Water Congregation in Chicago. We had a dual ordination service. And uh, that was a very special time. Uh, Olak Sunawar was one of the two people who was ordained. At the conference sessions this spring, the conference agreed to support Olak's ministry, the Outward Bound ministry. He had previously been uh, employed as half-time as one of the pastoral team members at Living Water. Olak, if you are not familiar with him, is a Nepali Christian, and he is actively engaged in resourcing Nepali-speaking congregations throughout the Midwest. He has identified more than 30 Nepali-speaking congregations. Now, these are of all different denominations and groups, but these are, new, these are immigrants to this country that are, trying to, that are forming Christian communities. He also teaches online with seminary students in Nepal and Bhutan. So, your work and generosity helps to support and partner in that ministry. And I, I want to thank you for that. I've had the chance to see some of the fruit of that ministry. Um, the, the other uh, person who was ordained that day was Laura Crable. And Laura it served in campus ministry at North Park University but is also a member of the Living Water Congregation, and so is deeply involved in, in the outreach and ministry with, with students from many different backgrounds. So uh, please remember her in your prayers as well. Um, the, North, the Living Water Congregation is located maybe 10 blocks away from Lake Michigan, and after the worship service, we went to the lakeside, uh, to a park, and shared in a, a, uh, a carrion meal. It was, as we stood there, smelling the, the fragrance of Nepali food, of traditional North American fare, of, of uh, 
food from, from, uh, from West Africa. I turned, I turned to the pastor of, one of the pastors of Living Water, and I said, you know, uh, a Tarian meal may be one of the better arguments for an intercultural church. And she responded by saying, it's the best argument. As they gather for fellowship over food and taste, taste the richness and the fragrance of different, different cultures coming together and realizing that it is the Spirit of God that weaves between all of these uh, to create a congregation that together gathers to minister in the name of Christ in the city of Chicago. Uh, it was truly a rich time. In the same way as I had the opportunity to gather here with this congregation and know of your witness, and it was exciting to read the plans the very deliberate plans for how you are being formed in your church forward study. Uh, I want to commend you for the, for the witness, for the vision of this congregation. The overarching theme for this weekend had to do with, with, with health, gathered in health. And it's fascinating to that turn of phrase to gather in health in the midst of a pandemic. But we realize that health is not just a matter of disease or lack thereof. In fact, the text that we heard this morning from 1 Corinthians 12 focuses much more on matters of relational health and spiritual health. That is, what is it that God gifts to the church? to sustain and strengthen the life of the body so the church may engage in the mission for which God has called it. What I want to do is say a brief word about that overarching mission and the witness, the purpose for which the church of Jesus Christ exists. And then come back to this question of health and some very important matters that Paul addresses in this chapter. If you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians for a moment, we're going to focus on another place where Paul speaks of the mission of the church and want to pay attention to several key things. Paul speaks in a very fascinating way of the crucifixion and resurrection and its significance in the book of Ephesians. For he says that when, when Christ was raised from the dead, that part of what happened is that the dividing wall of hostility was destroyed. It was undone, broken down. Here he's speaking to a congregation that includes both those who were, who were Jews and those who were Gentiles. And Gentiles is a broad category. It was the category that Jews used for anyone who was not Jewish. And now, together, they are coming drawn to the person of Christ, drawn by the Spirit of God, but they bring with them a boatload of attitudes about each other. Some of that's condescension, some of that's superiority. There's all kinds of things that they have been formed 
sometimes by religious teachings, sometimes by cultural patterns and teachings, to, sort of, to basically disdain each other. And where they lived within the Roman Empire, the empire basically dealt with differences and divisions by exercising a greater power. The, the, that the empire would say, if you disrupt the harmony of the empire, we will extinguish you. That's what, part of what the cross was about. The cross was about pacifying the empire, I mean pacifying the people, with a threat that this could happen to you. If we could go back to the first century and we're in an imperial city of, of Rome, if we were to approach through one of the gates of the city, just outside the gates, if we were fortunate, we would just see some posts in the ground. If we were unfortunate, we would see a crossbeam attached to that post. And persons in various stages of approaching death were impaled on that cross. You see, the cross was nothing unique in the first century. It was a public execution. It was an attempt to humiliate. The person on the cross would have been stripped naked, exposed, powerless, with the crime with which they're accused nailed in above them. And the, the, the message is clear. This can happen. This could be you. So stay in line. Paul makes the audacious move to claim that there's something else going on at the cross. The cross which seeks to use hostility as a power to control, instead Paul is saying, no, what has happened in the cross is that the dividing wall of hostility is no longer managed, it's been taken down. And now you, who were divided before, are becoming one body. That is, that the, the effect of the resurrection was a new social order, a new social reality. And one that undermined the very authority of the empire, not by a frontal assault, not by trying to raise an army to fight, to fight the Roman Empire, but rather by exposing the weakness of the empire. Because the resurrection said death is not the last word. And the ultimate power of an empire is the power to inflict death. That's what sends people cowering. And instead, Paul declares the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. This same spirit can now walk into the space of the dividing wall of hostility being divided, even though you're not experienced at doing this, even though you don't know how, even though you've been fashioned otherwise, you are being drawn into a space where you understand that you are one body being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Then he will go on and well, he says, so Christ came and preached peace to you who are near and peace to you who are far off and brought you together into this reality. And then he goes on in chapter 3 to explain that the very purpose of this uniting 
is to demonstrate to the powers and principalities the manifold wisdom of God. That is, what the powers are always trying to do is to get people in line, control things so that there's not chaos, and keep order. And he says, you, you who were divided, in the very fact that you are brought together, you demonstrate the fallacy of trying to heal chasms and wounds through the exercise of sheer force. It is only by putting hostility itself to death that the world is made new, and the church's witness then, and the reason the church attends to questions like unity, overcoming cultural divisions, overcoming and, and understanding those things that ways we have been formed in the world around us, and the ways we've been deformed, it's because the church's witness to the powers is this. The manifold wisdom of God can accomplish this, which you, with all of your armies, with all of your investments, case in point, the furor we see right now with the withdrawal of American forces from Afghanistan. Will there be a whirlwind of retribution and bloodshed? We don't know. We do know that billions upon billions of dollars have been spent. We know that thousands of American lives have been lost and hundreds of thousands of Afghani lives have been lost. And we are facing what appears to be the same situation that existed there before the first U.S. troops showed up. The fallacy of the dividing walls of hostility and managing them through sheer force. The gospel says there is a force greater by which enemies may become reconciled by being brought to one table by becoming brothers and sisters. Sisters and brothers, extended family to one another. To truly do what God has said is the, through Christ the greatest commandment. To love your neighbor as yourselves. To love your enemies as well. These are the linchpins of the kingdom and the only thing that will finally end the senselessness of the ways we try to manage the world. These are the first, the first fruits of the kingdom of God. So now to this church in Corinth, Paul writes, this church that is more, if you've read the whole book of Corinthians, you know is far from perfect. They are racked with divisions. There's lifestyle issues that are being that he condemns and, and challenges them to work with. There's a whole bunch of problems in this church. And yet to this, this 
group. He said, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. To this group that he says strong words to and chides and corrects and he comes back and says, but don't forget this. You are the body of Christ. You are still being remade. And in this chapter, he sets forth some, some ideas and principles that are vital for us even in the 21st century. Because some of the things he speaks of here sound so strikingly contemporary. Lessons we still haven't fully learned. Lessons by which we need to be shaped and transformed again and again. The first I just, I just quoted, he's saying, you are the body of Christ. First he addresses them as a collective. Not one of you is the body of Christ, not a couple of the body of Christ. He uses the plural form of the word you and he addresses them and says, you are the body of Christ. The body of Christ doesn't exist as just a conglomerate, or, or I mean, just, just individual bodies out here. It's not just an of individual Christians to God. Because remember, this body made up of a mixed multitude is part of the revealing of the wisdom of God. But then he also says, and individually you are each members of it. It's not swallowing up individual persons. It's not saying, oh, now we, you know, there's this kind of cookie cutter that's been put down, and this is how you will all look. This is, you will all think exactly the same. And No. Rather, you have each been given gifts by the Holy Spirit. Now, the problem with these gifts is you've been formed in a world that likes to ask the question, Who's most important? Who's, who's, who gets looked up to and esteemed here? And apparently this was happening in the church of Corinth. So here you get these multiple gifts, prophecy, healing, interpretation of tongues, speaking in tongues. And, it, and the, list, the list goes on of spiritual gifts. For the moment, the concern isn't to speak about any single gift, but he says these multiple gifts have been given. No one has them all, but they have been given for the common good. Interesting phrase that he uses here when he speaks of common good. That's usually a phrase we speak of in political philosophy. Those things that, that belonged to the, the entire polis, the entire city, the entire people. Everyone can expect at least this. We share this together to be a, to be a community of some sort. Well, Paul says there's a new city being created here, a new community. And the gifts you have been given are for the common good. They are part of the treasury of the church as a whole. Even though you may have that gift, it hasn't been given just for you to make a name, to make a, a purse, to carve out a space, or even worse, not to prove 
how you are right and another person is wrong. It is rather given for the building up of the whole. Why? So that the church may make the manifold wisdom of God to the known to the powers and principalities. That this work of resurrection is being accomplished here on earth. So, whatever gift you have been given, and you have been gifted by God, bring that gift both as an offering to the altar and also as a sacred trust to say you have been gifted by God. You've been called by God, by name. You, as an individual, matter. But it's not your self-willfulness that matters. It's not my willfulness that matters. It's rather that I am valued and honored and welcomed by God no more and no less than each one of you. And to hold these things together calls for us to be reformed because they're they're not the way those things that shape our egos and identity are often shaped in the world. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Later today, I'll be stopping in Chicago to visit a cousin of mine. She is on dialysis and awaiting a kidney transplant. The dialysis is doing the work that his kidney should be doing, but they have failed. He has recently had a foot amputated for severe diabetes, and it was not healing. His foot was actually fighting against the rest of his body. It was a source of infection that was going to destroy the whole. He's recovering well from that surgery. And I look forward to the time we will share together this evening. He has a, a spirit I can scarcely imagine with the hardships he has faced. He's nine years younger than I am. But he knows well his liver cannot say to his kidney, I have no need of you. There is no part of his body that is expendable. It's a system that works together. And Paul draws on this powerful metaphor. He's saying, no one part of the body can say to another part, you are expendable. So each of you matter. But you also matter to the whole the strengthening of the whole, to the learning together, to the, the shared wisdom you are pursuing in, your, in, the, in the, these weeks and months of saying, God, shape us to be that so that the, this community that gathers here to worship, to offer praise to your name, made our existing together be a testimony to the manifold wisdom of God. 
the way we love one another in the face of differences, the way we nurture one another, the way we yield to one another, the way we exercise the gifts we have been given for one another. And surely, surely the light of this place, of this community, will be a testimony in a polarized world. That the way to overcome polarization is not through the exercise of power and the negation of another. But walking into this transforming invitation of the Spirit of God who weaves and moves among us. The same Spirit moving among us that raised Christ from the dead is making of this congregation, of every place that God is known, a testimony. A testimony to that more excellent way which the Apostle will go on to describe in the next chapter. The way of love. Beloved of God, may the Spirit of God continue the good work that has been begun among you to sustain and strengthen you in weariness, to uphold you in health and strength, to deepen your bonds of love for one another. And may the overflow of this be a demonstration of the goodness and the power of God to heal and make all things new. The peace of Christ be. Amen.